Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. Today, we've got the topic of the month, possibly the topic of the decade in this particular space. And here with me today, of course, as always, is my friend and colleague, Nitin Gower. Good morning, Nitin. Hey, Derek. Good evening to you. I'm calling from Texas and you're from in Australia. So always a, a great time difference for both of us. Uh, glad to be here. Terrific. Hey, Ethereum, the merge. And um, the surge I, and the verge and the purge. It's like a whole, you know, rhythmic use of terms here. <laughs> it's fantastic. You know, it reminds me of a whole variety of Star Trek episodes. So <laughs> I really don't know whether the whether the programmers have done this or the marketing people have done the done the spin, but it's brilliant. Um, but underneath these things, each one of them means something. And so today I thought you and my nine might talk about um, not just the technical aspect, but also the financial aspect, because we've obviously seen the value of a Ethereum token, you know, go from a thousand and fifty US dollars to about sixteen hundred and fifty odd US dollars today, <clears throat> and and that hasn't represented the growth of the market in the last thirty days. It's <clears throat> outperformed the market. Why? So let's go through and discuss this. But for those listening, maybe let's just clarify what Ethereum is to begin with. So Ethereum is a decentralized global software platform that's powered by blockchain technology. Ethereum is scalable, programmable, secure, and decentralized, and it is natively supports smart contracts, which is the essential tool behind the decentralized applications. By the way, it has about 3000 dApps decentralized applications operating on it. So based upon our theory that each one of these major blockchains is a sovereign state, I would argue that the Ethereum sovereign state is the biggest in the world. Um, so let's have a look. It's got 126 million tokens um, on, uh, on issue. Uh, it's prices around 1500 US ago, 15, 1600. I've calculated at 1500. And that makes it about 230 odd billion dollars of capitalization it has two hundred thousand validators so that's computers there that are validating the transaction of this proof of work process so to give you an idea of proportion solana has 1800 validators but and this is part of the reason for the verge and the spurge um, but the transactions per second sit at 13.9 transactions per second and Solana sits at about 1,055 transactions per second. So it's slow. So Vitalik has outlined each one of these steps and he's defined them, defined them as follows. The merge, which he says now becomes a deflationary asset with the reduced issuance, 
cuts power usage by a mighty 99.95%. Um, the date of this upgrade is due on the 19th of September 2022 at the time of his speech. The surge, this will significantly increase the network's scalability. This is where multi-sharding comes in, Nitin, and that's when yeah. they anticipate <clears throat> that they'll obtain 100,000 transactions per second. So let's put that in proportion. Visa and MasterCard do 50 to 60,000 transactions per second at Christmas time. So it should be a rate which is more than adequate of transacting the global transaction rates. The Verge, which is the next uh, one after the surge, is really designed to optimize the storage of Ethereum and to help reduce node size, ultimately to assist Ethereum to become more scalable again. And then the purge reduces the hard drive space needed for validators. This eliminates historical data and bad debts and stream and its streamlined storage, which in turn reduces the network congestion. It all makes sense, doesn't it? They're making it more elegant. They're making it easier to use as a validator <clears throat> and they're making it faster. And then finally, the splurge really is a series of miscellaneous smaller upgrades which ensure the network runs smoothly you know prior you know with with all the prior four upgrades done quite i mean a really very well considered development program because they're not basically putting all this in one go they're releasing it step by step firstly this major step now which is the merge goes from being proof of work to proof of stake and this is the big breakthrough. And so the question I've got to begin with, Nitin, is, is this mm -hmm. going to solve the famous blockchain dilemma, or it's a trilemma, in fact, and that is strong security, <clears throat> high speed and low cost? What do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great segue into what I was going to talk about, uh, mm. Derek, that this transition, as you described, uh, merge which basically sort of today, this implies that you're changing from one consensus mechanism. You're changing the entire computer infrastructure, the way we keep the blocks and keep the transaction secure. At the end of the day, all Ethereum provides is secure block size. That's that's the, the, the main value proposition. And if you go over to go back in history, the entire cycle of introducing the stateless client, which is the next element of the fact that now that you are going from proof of work, which is computationally expensive, to proof of stake, which is meant to be more computationally efficient, mm. um, then relies upon many layer two to say, hey, I can make it much more, transaction will be super cheap, and I will let people consume you know, all you can eat transactions, essentially, which makes things cheaper. And then the idea behind Verge is that you issue stateless clients that implies that the users wouldn't need to keep a lot of data on the computers, because the network validators, these you know, uh, would have to have that function. And historically, if you look at what we have done with this shift from mainframe to client-server technology, is essentially the same thing. We instead of relying upon keeping one massive sort of box of processing and yes. data, we said let's go and distribute the data. So, and we've gone through the cyclical process in history. If I were to go back and recall the history, and as I'm witnessing this whole thing, to say, eventually I want to streamline storage. I want to lessen network traffic. Uh, there is something called a Brewer's theorem. I think we discussed this in our scalability topic, which is something called a CAP theorem, which stands for consistency, availability, and partition awareness. And the thesis was that any system can only achieve two, 
but not all three of these properties. Mm-hmm. So system can either be consistent, system can be partition aware, which is how you distribute the data across multiple systems. Uh, and for them to be consistent implies that I'm keeping the data in multiple places, which means if I update one piece of data, I have to go and update all the other pieces that's scattered around the network. And that became a challenge because if you do a lot of updates, there's a lot of network traffic that has to go and update all these little bits and pieces of data that's sitting everywhere else. And that consumes energy because that can consumes network IO, uh, which is network you know input output. That's essentially where they're heading in that direction. And the trilemma, which is an is an extrapolation of this Brewer's theorem or the CAP theorem, is around decentralization, consistency, and and safety. Uh, and I think that the theorem, which has not been unproved yet, is just laws of physics that you cannot achieve, you know, all three at the same time. So something's got to give. And I view this as an enormous opportunity because while we have gone through the cycle of you know, centralized computing to distributed computing, which is what we see in the client-server space, before we, we went down the path of vertically integrating all the services into cloud, which we went back to the old model, but in a, in a, in a bit more fragmented way. From a computing perspective, I see this as a massive opportunity because this has not been attempted in blockchain context before. Of course, there are maximalists, and we can talk about that in a few. But I see this as an economic shift, uh, which is risk and opportunity, uh, that mm. you're suddenly now shifting the incentive economic system from proof of work, which relied upon mining, that relies upon having extensive amount of power, to now staking. So it becomes a model where you have to, you know, it's like an oligarchy, you know, like a, uh, oligarchy rather, where you have to have certain assets to participate in the system. Um, and, uh, you know, in some cases you may have to, whatever little you've earned, uh, you know, so you're sort of breaking some of the tenants of decentralization, some of the tenants for the, uh, the larger masses to earn, to participate in this economic system. Second thing is the technology shift, which, uh, you know, is enabled by this economic shift with fundamental changes in this technical framework that we're talking about that enables security. So we're moving from proof of work to proof of stake, and that fundamentally changes um, you know, uh, the level of how we secure the network, which today was a tried and proven method that we have seen uh, with Bitcoin. Uh, yes, it's controversial. It has an ESG component. It has conversations around massive power usage. Uh, but that aside, there's a reason why that amount of power is used because it it has an incentive mechanism to thwart uh, anybody to be able to. So while there are, those barriers are gone, uh, you're giving up on a few things, whether it's you know in 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 order to receive and achieve the the higher transaction throughput, as you mentioned. So I've always discussed this at intellectual level, as an opportunity and a risk. So either Ethereum will do really really well, or it'll begin to start start showing challenges that we have seen again with you know the bridges and many of the interoperability technologies because uh, they haven't really solved the entire DCS or you know trilemma per se. I'll pause here, Derek, to see if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I think the other part of them being able to run, uh, you know, the new the new Verge uh, program to be able to run both staking and validation nodes separately or together if wanted, but separately and their intention to really make the programming a lot more elegant should improve both speed, efficiency and the number of people capable of becoming stakers around the world. Because if you become a staker, the economics become, well, what looks like quite attractive economics. And 
you know, you may find that there'll be very large aggregators of staking, in which case they will pay a percentage to get your Ethereum on board and you'll get a smaller percentage of APY but won't be a staker. Um, so you might see that, well, that's kind of like interest, frankly, um, that you'd be paid on your Ethereum wherever you keep it if you want to share it with these, or you can yeah. become a staker yourself, which means you get interest um, on it. So it can, it can also be seen as a way of democratizing the economics of um, Ethereum and seeing a return. And that is the intention, right? If you look at the narrative behind this merge, right? Um, it's one objective was to keep the current projects alive. Ethereum by far has the largest developer ecosystem. You mentioned 3000 uh, decentralized applications. Mm. In fact, I think there are a bit more and, and many of them actually moved to other ecosystems because it became too congested, ergo became too expensive to process transactions, especially the NFT projects have moved on to other ecosystem because it was too expensive to yes. do any processing. And I think the financial ecosystem moved to layer two because Ethereum became expensive. So one of the narratives to preserve that rich ecosystem is cheaper, faster, better. That's the obvious. Mm -hmm. Better for the environment. That's an ESG feather on mm -hmm. the cap. And that's where things become interesting. But now with much more um, sort of a diverse opinion between the Ethereum sort of, um, you know, um, maximalist and Bitcoin maximalist and better for scale. Uh, scalability element. But as far as the egalitarian component goes, which is true decentralization, I think what they've done is one of the element of choosing these validators, right? Which is what, which is one which gets the ability to propose a block and get rewarded for it um, is cyclical in nature where at random you have pools, you have to have 32 ETH, which is quite expensive for an ordinary person to just go and acquire and achieve. Yes. Uh, and, and, or they become part of a pool that pools people's assets and that's essentially staking that these staking pools then get to but then you're picked so if you have like say 1024 of these pools um then at random you may get picked eight of them get picked which means you have to wait for your turn to get you know to be able to uh you know to be able to get picked to be able to provide security to, you know to the network so the question then becomes one is patience capital two is the economics of it like today, it's a pretty simple economics that you mine and you get the Ethereum. The Ethereum is used for tolling mechanism, which is to pay for transactions. Suddenly now you're in this game where the validators do get some, where the post-merge ETH issuance will drop, I think about 0.6 million per year. And with similar, you know, uh, 2.7 million ETH burned every year, which is through EIP 1559, which was meant to provide a bit more um, sort of uh, a, a proper estimation for gas fees, uh, meaning that you have a net 2.1 million ETH burned per year, which is minus 7% of the overall supply, which diminishes over time. And the hope there is that that over time, this becomes a lot cheaper. And, uh, you know, again, driving ETH miner out of business, suddenly you have the stakers now, which take on the dominant role. What I don't know, like any, you know, oligarchy, is suddenly now you'll have you know, a few uh, folks who can dominate the space in terms of and provide a renting capability, which I think in many cases, while provides a diverse decentralized computing platform may not necessarily equate to a much more egalitarian access platform, if that makes sense. Because now you're dealing with just a few rich folks or entities who have the technical know-hows and have the ability to amass these, these 
uh, staking tokens to be able to host uh, staking pools that they can participate in that in that economic system, which is in 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 many ways similar to like even mining was hard. I mean, you didn't you know it's it's akin to uh, except that it's become easier than mining now, uh, and I would say that that's a plus on Ethereum's part that uh, you're now you can join a pool as opposed to uh, you know being a part of some mining rig. Uh, that was inaccessible to most individuals and you had to go through some professional entity or some sort of company that actually had the entire apparatus to mine per se. So there's a little bit of that change. I think time will tell us to how efficient this is. That next thing you know, there are thousand pools, you know, running the whole network and 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 that's a lot of dependency on thousand, thousand individuals if this becomes hugely successful. It's certainly a shift from the miners, which very few people today would want to enter because of the requirement of the specialized equipment and, uh, and the very competitive aspect of it. Um, so even if I didn't want to stake and, and I want to keep my Ethereum on, say, a network like Crypto.com or, or Binance, Binance will pay 4.3% because it's getting money at about 9% per annum for staking it. Yeah. So it's giving you money as a return on your investment of ETH. So even if you're not participating, you can generate income um, by just simply parking your ETH. But if you do participate, it's quite interesting. So if you're a staker in the new, in the new version where, where both the, uh, at, the, at the surge stage when the, the full transactions are in place um, and you are both a validator and a staker, and, mm -hmm. or you can be just a staker, it's starting to look a little bit like economics that we're used to on, on um, an investment. So by yeah. example, the burn um, is now seeing the ETH issuance drop from what was 4.3% of new issuance down to 0.43% of new issuance mm -hmm. and the burn rate being higher. So as you said, there was a net reduction of, I think you said about 2.1 odd million um, uh, you know, tokens per annum. So a burn is like a share buyback. There's less shares yeah. every year. So your share value is increasing. So the burn is a share buyback. Then you've got a yield, which I think to recently was around 9%, may well go up uh, depending on demand and supply, but let's just say the yield is 9% that you're getting on mm -hmm. it. Well, that's a pretty damn good yield you're getting on your stock. You can put that into a discounted cash flow and work out the value of that, um, both of the Ethereum, um, uh, token and also of your your need to put it there. In fact, it starts to sound like a very profitable bond. So that's the financial aspect. What do you think about that? <laughs> One thing is interesting is that Ethereum, from an asset class perspective, as you know, uh, CFTC had had labeled as utility. That mm. is, it was a utility because it was tolling mechanism. Suddenly now it's taking and the yield and um, investment objectives. I think. The nature of ETH may not exactly be a commodity anymore, or it may not be a utility anymore. It may or might as well be staking may change the nature of the asset class, which yes. may have an interesting regulatory and compliance implications on the asset itself. Because now you have an asset just like you have cash. And if you mentioned the word bond, um, you know, you mentioned the term stocks, yes. which is you expecting a return on that yes. stock. Suddenly now the definition of that asset class changes. And the interesting thing in this entire ecosystem, which I think, as you have seen today, uh, Robinhood was slapped 30 million 
And you had all kinds of interesting challenges this week in terms of regulatory action and enforcement action being imposed on various players. Uh, this week was a, it was a very interesting week from that perspective. What would be interesting to see is how this changes, this is post-merge and maybe going towards the surge a year or two years from now. Will this become a challenge and it's a matter of a few pools going rogue? That happens all the time. You, you give your ETH to us to a staking pool and they run away with it. And what do you do You know when that happens? Um, what is the definition of that asset class? And what is the definition of then uh, the asset class that depends upon this asset class? Do they become a derivative? Do mm. they in- inherit some of the underlying capabilities because they're running Ethereum? I think it'll be an interesting evolution to see. And that's why I call, call this an opportunity and a risk that uh, that economic shift changes the, the defining the role of Ether per se. And more importantly, I always question this too, as Solana, Cardano, and Algorand, uh, they all are in some form or fashion using uh, this notion of proof of stake, Um, right? And so now you're actually now, you know, level playing field with the other variations of proof of stake who are in the business. And uh, in general, I think at a broad level, and another interesting article that the asset, uh, you know, locked in the sense that the total amount of assets and proof of work and proof of stake will be drastically different now. That suddenly now Bitcoin is the only proof of work, uh, you know, and there's another development in Ethereum, which I'll talk about in a few minutes, but uh, suddenly now Bitcoin is the only proof of work asset that's remaining. And that's today the lion's share of, of the crypto industry. And the rest now moves towards proof of stake, which means on the on the long run, this becomes a commodity from a attractiveness of an asset class. Uh, you know, and while it, it provides certain level of synergy between the two, I think it'll be interesting to see the 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 imbalance and the differential, the asset differential between the proof of work and proof of stake. And now, Nitin, it's ESG. And so therefore it's not burning energy. So a lot of big institutional investors can invest in it now. So you're gonna see this investment dynamic occur where um, Ethereum is gonna potentially increase substantially in price. Will that impact the transaction fees? And will that impact the community? Will it suffer from its own success, do you think? Just because Ether's deflationary and, and this surge really refers to layer two protocols and all the most busy um, Uniswap and Aave have moved to Polygon, which is a layer two protocol. Yes. Um, my only contention in this entire debate was that if you're moving to proof of stake, we should not need layer two for scalability. We yes. could use a layer two for privacy pre- you know, preservation using zero knowledge proof, ZK Stark. There's an enormous amount of interesting technologies out there because layer two in many cases are centralized infrastructures. And so the question is that while the ETH2 would lead to, let's say, 10, 15,000 transactions per second, which, by the way, is adequate for most systems, including payment systems. You don't have to have the scale of 50,000 or 100,000, which is what you mentioned with Visa and MasterCard, with the exception of, of Christmas sort of time. Uh, but most applications don't need that level of processing capability. So the question is, the surge, which refers to making the Ethereum layer 2 blockchains even more affordable, uh, to me is a mute point. Uh, I, I just don't, you know, I, I, I'm still questioning the role of layer two and I, unless it's only privacy preservation and adding a layer of privacy, which is what ZKPs do or zero knowledge proofs do. Uh, I think there's, there's going to be a shift and this whole notion of 6,000 
uh, I still have to look at the number, which I think is overly optimistic because the more expensive it gets, uh, it'll attract now the fact that you're dealing with smaller pools as opposed to proof of work. Uh, you are giving up on some element of security, the DCS, remember the trilemma that we talked about, you're giving some level of that security because now the pools have to be uh, tasked with securing the infrastructure and they have to you know, be in line. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that voting process goes per se, but I'm questioning a few things again, that's why I'm calling it a risk. Uh, and again, the analogy has always been that changing the engine on a plane while the plane is flying. Well, that sounds risky, uh, you know, <laughs> so, even though they're so going risky. through, uh, you know, a few test networks, I think next week they're going Gurley, which is another test network before yep. they actually go into, uh, into the main net. Um, so yeah, I think I I'm excited. I am optimistic, but I'm also, um, you know, cautiously optimistic that all works out okay. Um, and if not, then it'll be a, a use case and case study for future blockchains, per se. But also, you know, if it implodes, which would be just the worst case scenario, um, you're talking about a major part of decentralized finance um, yeah. being put on hold or inconvenienced or sh shut down for a period of time. It'd be a disaster. So they have an enormous responsibility on their shoulders to get this right not just to get this right for elegance purposes and improvement in speed, but to get it right with the 3000 plus applications that are, um, have been built on it already. Um, and those people that are transacting trading and dealing on those applications. So it, it certainly is probably, well, I'm not sure what is a more interesting or more important transaction that's, uh, that's in development program that's occurring or has occurred for yeah. the last, what, five years or more, and maybe it might occur for the next yeah. five years. This is it. Uh, yeah. so is it no, no, I think from computer science perspective and- If there's a programmer spectator sport, Nitin, this is the programmer spectator sport. I, I couldn't agree more as a technologist, as you know, for computer science professionals, this is such an interesting moment. Because remember, you know, there is history from 2015 onwards, right? Um, on, on the entire sort of blockchain. And, and that data will be, those transactions will be preserved, the validation verification of the transaction as the merge happens. There's, there's a time when the difficulty bomb or the hashing algorithm, uh, you know, it'll be forced to move from the proof of work coin to a proof of stake coin. There'll, there'll be that little induced, you know, um, you know difficulty bomb that will force them to move into this whole thing. Imagine moving all the data sets, all the chains with that to the new system Yes. Uh, and and then relying upon the proof of stake system to then secure and verify and validate uh, the, the historical context, which I think is such an interesting thing, both from a cryptography perspective, but also in terms of, you know, um, I'm just thinking of what could go wrong. And I've mm. done a lot of search in this space uh, besides my own intellectual exercise. And I haven't seen a lot of discussions yet in, in the cryptosphere in terms of what could go wrong here. Uh, and I think we should discuss that as, as a pragmatic approach. Look, I, I imagine they're discussing that at, at length at uh, the Ethereum Foundation <laughs> on a constant basis over a long period of time. Um, so let's just assume for a moment it goes right. What impact is it going to have on, on Solana, on Avalanche, on Polkadot yeah. particularly? Um, and as you mentioned before, on layer two protocols, you know, if apart from security or, or you know, zero knowledge proof purposes, maybe yeah. layer two protocols become irrelevant. This is going to be a reshuffling of, of the status of some of these 
some of these other blockchains. They'll still have a purpose for being though, because they're designed in different ways yeah. to, to formulate different solutions. But do you think it'll have a, an impact on the likes of Solana and, and Co? I think so too. I think a few things, right? One is many of us don't believe, and I'm not certainly not a maximalist, that there'll be one chain to rule them all. Mm -hmm. We'll be have diversity of each of the chain provides a unique element. Avalanche came up with this own subnetting structure to provide scalability, which goes above and beyond uh, the traditional proof of stake structures. Um, and then you have Cardano, which has been at this for quite some time. Then you have Algorand, which sort of has his own mechanism, uh, you know, from, from some really smart people. And I think each of them have tried to carve a niche for themselves, right? Some of them are focusing on NFTs only. Like if you look at Dapper Labs, the, the Flow Protocol, which is another layer one, purely also proof of stake, uh, you know, purely focuses on, on, uh, on NFT ecosystems. Uh, Algorand is going after the Hedera and Algorand going after the quasi enterprise use cases to be attractive to the large enterprises, um, you know, to be able to go in. So I think each of these chains yes. are going for the specialization and they'll find their niche. And on the long run, if you look at uh, where I think this gets interesting is the EVM or Ethereum virtual machine based structures. Uh, there's a certain level of interoperability at the machine level, which means that if you have an EVM based smart contract and, and ZK, uh, EVM, which is what Polygon is coming up with, makes it even more portable for these ecosystems to exist in in uh, or these specialized programs to exist in, in in the various ecosystems. And I think, if not anything else, that technical evolution is generally good for the industry. That people are thinking about the fact that yes, if all of them have same economic structures, don't I want to be able to build the same? house of business in every ecosystem if it provides a value provides a service and ability for me to be able to monetize in every ecosystem uh, as as a specialized function and i think that will only promote a much more convergence uh, even you know if it's just purely between the proof of stake systems i think it'll be a good thing for the industry because now we have diversity you have a choice if things don't work in one you can always switch over to the other one and you can be able to provide you know the, it lowers the cost of switching which in economic terms is always a great thing for the consumers, I think. Yeah. And, and also considering that, you know, there's, one has to also remember that there's a global community out there. We, we keep thinking about the US, Australia, the UK, Europe, et cetera, but there's, uh, you know, South Korea and right through Northern Asia. Um, then of course, China and Africa. And, and as we just last week, when we were, um, when we were discussing Africa, we're seeing, different development programs occur there based upon different blockchains. And so, you know, there's still a lot of requirement for many different blockchain solutions along the way for, uh, and hopefully that will positively support the community in one form or other. So it's a brighter future and the aeroplane is getting its engine changed midway. I'd like to think <laughs> they flew up there with an engine, Nitin, um, so, sitting yeah. in the other wing as they're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> but but nonetheless, it's getting changed midway. Um, what do you see as that brighter future? You know, reduce no, I high reduce cost. Do you think, yep. do you think that's those those are the the anchors that are holding back? Um, you know, DeFi and Web three at the moment. So besides the fact that it's going to be cheaper and. It's better and it'll attract more projects and the cost of doing business becomes a lot less, including for us as consumers, because we who are using these services are oftentimes, we, I stop myself in transferring 
yes. uh, USDC because it's it's cost me fifty dollars to transfer fifty dollars, which doesn't make any economic sense. Yes. So it'll certainly fuel a lot more utility of the network, which is such a great thing that we all are able to use this without thinking about transition costs, which has been a massive impediment. Uh, which became again, Ethereum became victim of its own success. That it became so popular that now it became too expensive. And and you know what we talked about that moving money is expensive on traditional finance. Traditional finance turned around and say, hey, you're paying 170 bucks to move something on Ethereum, and that's not exactly cheap. And so I think from that perspective, I think that uh, the utility of this certainly goes up. Uh, the entire process to change something mid-flight, right? Which is this whole process will, if this go really goes well, becomes a industry standard that people will begin to now follow the same sort of, you know, steps. And over time it speeds things up and ability to change protocols in or faulty protocols or inefficient protocols in future becomes quite relevant for all the networks. So they're setting a stage and likewise, any failures are also an opportunity to learn from this perspective. So I'm, I'm I'm very optimistic about this in either way, from learning perspective. And also if this goes really well, then the utilitarian element of this becomes really, really dominant, which is the hope here, I think. Yep, I agree too. I'm very excited about this. Uh, we, we are constantly discussing uh, Web 3.0, the opportunities with Web 3.0, yep. Metaverse, DeFi. When you realize the majority of these are getting transacted upon Ethereum, and this is an opportunity to enable those, uh, those major new technologies to expand at a rapid rate. This is a massive breakthrough that's coming, assuming they get it right. Um, yeah. So that's, that's for us this week. Uh, I've got to say that um, I'm excited about Ethereum, obviously, as I think so is Nitin here. We don't know whether it's going to be worth $6,100 a token that the nice person at um, Bloomberg is, but like normal, we're just we're just surmising our ideas about this particular space but what it has going to, is going to become is it's going to become esg supportive it's going to become a lot more efficient um, and i think it's going to become a lot more democratized through this process and uh, and all of those are good things so um until next week nitin where we'll resolve another major issue or uncover another <laughs> new technology <laughs> I'll see yeah, you next week I'll be. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Again, there's never a dull moment. There's so much going on in, in you know in the industry. But looking forward to it, Derek. Uh, these these uh, you know these podcasts for it's a learning opportunity for all of us because mm. you know we figure out what we want to speak. So I think it's always a fun and, and pleasurable experience. Good on you. Agreed to. See you next week. Take care. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive and engaged. See you next week.